Well, sometimes it is just time for something new, isn't it? Uh, They say the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and yet expect different results. So, you know, the person who's trying to put the lounge chair from one room into another, but the way they're carrying it just won't fit through the door. But instead of changing the orientation of the chair, they just keep trying the same thing over and over, maybe pushing it a little bit harder, but just blindly hoping that this time it'll work. Well, colloquially, we say that it's insane. I mention this because in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the writer is going to point out that the Old Testament sacrifices being repeated endlessly over and over and over, they never actually worked. The thousands upon thousands of bulls and goats that were sacrificed in the place of the people for the the forgiveness of their sins, it, it never actually achieved it. And the good news is that Christ has come to make an altogether different sacrifice. He's done something new. And his sacrifice actually works. It brings us lasting, permanent forgiveness and does away with all the other sacrifices. And so what the writer does in verses 1 to 4 is he points out why the Old Testament sacrifices didn't work. So verses 1 to 4 are clearing away that thinking. And then from verse 5, he shows us how Christ's sacrifice does work. Verses 5 to 18 is how Jesus' death actually removes all our sin. So that by the time we get to the end of the verses, we'll be left thinking through what it means that we are genuinely, truly forgiven. That if we are cleansed truly, then what does that mean for how I think about my guilt for the things I've done in the past? And what is it, how, how am I meant to make sense of the times when I still sin? How am I meant to think about that? We'll get there. But for now, let's see how the writer takes us there. And the first thing he does is point out that the Old Testament sacrifices for, that the Israelites used to do, that they never actually worked in taking sin away. Now, for you and I, that's, you know, we never thought that they did. Uh, I get that. But for the original readers of this letter, this was massive. Because remember, the original readers of this letter were Jewish Christians. And in their day, when they were reading this letter, the Jewish temple with the priests and the sacrifices, it was all still up and running. They just had to walk down the main street of Jerusalem. It was all still there. And so you can imagine the Jewish Christians thinking that it all still worked. It would have been tempting to go back to the old familiar system, to go back to the priests and to keep making more sacrifices for sin, particularly since they were being persecuted because they weren't doing them anymore. But the writer's point is that they can't do that because the Old Testament sacrifice, they didn't work. And the first thing the writer wants to point out is that they could, uh, those sacrifices could never make anyone perfect. So pick it up there, chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. Those Old Testament sacrifices could never make the Israelites perfect. Now, when we use the word perfect, we normally think of it in terms of moral purity, you know, like you you never do anything wrong. Uh, That's not how the word's being used here. It's the idea of being made complete, totally acceptable, and so able to come to God. 
And the Old Testament sacrifices didn't make the people completely acceptable to God. And you could tell. Because if they did, then the Israelites would have stopped making those sacrifices. They wouldn't have needed them anymore. Verse 2. If it could, if those sacrifices could have made the people perfect, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer feel guilty for their sins. See, it's like you're washing up and you're cleaning a plate and you put it in the rack, but the person wiping up gives the plate back to you because it's still dirty. So you give it another go, you put it on the rack, they give it back to you again because you still haven't got it clean, it's still dirty. Now, if you could just clean the plate so that you wouldn't have to keep washing it up. It's like that with the Old Testament sacrifices. If those sacrifices could just remove sin once and for all, then they wouldn't have to keep making those sacrifices, but they didn't remove sin. And so the Israelites had to just keep making the sacrifices over and over again because the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifices that they made, they could never actually take sins away. Verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because... It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Sacrificing a goat in the place of a human being for their sin, it doesn't actually cut it, does it? I mean, if I steal $20 from your wallet, then an appropriate punishment would be that I would give you $20 back. But for my sin, a goat dies doesn't work does it and that's the writer's point it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins those old testament sacrifices they just didn't work and having cleared away that thinking the writer now moves on to show why christ and his sacrifice for sin does work because he wants us to stick with the lord jesus he wants us to remain in the permanent forgiveness of our sins that has been won for us by Christ on the cross. And so from verse 5, he now moves on to Jesus and his sacrifice. And the first thing he points out about Christ's sacrifice is that it definitely was not just another Old Testament sacrifice. They didn't work, so he didn't come to do more of them. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. See, when Christ came, it wasn't to make more animal sacrifices for sin, he came to do the will of God instead. In fact, he set those sacrifices aside so that he would do the will of God. Verse 8. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. When Christ came, he didn't come to do more animal sacrifices for sin. He knew that they didn't work, so he came to do the will of God instead in order to actually forgive us. So what was God's will for the Christ that he would actually take our sins away? Well, God's will for the Christ was that he would make a sacrifice, but it would be himself, not animals, but his own body, his 
self-sacrifice in the place of his people. Verse 10. And by that will, the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The will of God was that Christ sacrifice his own body, not the body of a bull, his own. And by his self-sacrifice, we have been made holy. In other words, we have been set apart by Christ's death, we are the ones who have been brought to God to be his people. We are the ones who have actually been forgiven, who have been made acceptable to God, but it is only by Christ's sacrifice of himself for us. Earlier this year in May, Diane Alaska was with her daughter in New York State. They'd just been to church and they were on the way home and they thought they'd stop by a bakery to pick up some bread rolls. They're just walking along the footpath when all of a sudden this car lurches towards them. The the car was moving out of its parking spot. The driver thought that they were in drive and unfortunately they were in reverse. The driver lost control. The car jumped the footpath, was headed straight towards Diane and her daughter. Immediately Diane pushed her daughter out of the way. The car just clipped the teenager but unfortunately it ran straight into Diane. And she was pinned under the vehicle until bystanders rushed to push it off her, but she died later in hospital. It's a tremendous act of sacrifice and love, isn't it? That in the moment, that that instinctive act to protect her precious daughter. But friends, as extraordinary as Diane's sacrifice was, and it was extraordinary, what Jesus did was even more so. When Diane got up that morning, she had no idea what was going to happen. If she did, there's no way she would have gone to the bakery. Whereas Jesus, he knew all along what was going to happen to him. And yet he deliberately went to the cross for us. To sacrifice himself for our sins. And where Diane died for her precious daughter, Jesus died for his enemies. For sinners. Just like us, people who wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus gave up his life for us. And his self-sacrifice was only needed the once. Unlike the Old Testament priests, you know, keep making sacrifices day after day, week after week, year after year, Jesus gave himself up as a single self-sacrifice. He died just the once for our sins. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice. Christ died for sin just the once. He doesn't keep coming back at Easter so we can crucify him all over again. We just shared communion, but that doesn't somehow bring Jesus back, so he dies yet. No, it was just a one single offering, a single self-sacrifice for sins. And the reason he made just the one sacrifice for sin was because it worked. His offering up of his body in our place for our sin was sufficient. His death was enough. It was a single self-sacrifice sufficient for all our sin and this is the point that the writer really wants us to understand 
This is where he spends most of his time in showing that Christ's sacrifice for sins actually worked. In fact, we've already glossed over one way that the writer has shown us that his sacrifice was sufficient. Look at verse 12 again, and we'll see that Christ's sacrifice was once, yes, for all time. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Seriously, for all time. That means there'll never be anyone on the planet who can't have their sins taken away by Christ. Even though we're nearly 2,000 years after the event, Christ's one sacrifice was sufficient for our sins. It's like your great-great-grandfather had a million gazillion dollars and before he died he put it all in a trust fund that could only be used by his direct descendants for when they wanted to buy their first car. Just the one trust fund made just the once with the one deposit of a million gazillion dollars so that no matter how many of his descendants come after him, they'd all be able to buy their first car. Christ's one sacrifice of himself was for all time so that no matter how many people there'd be who would come to God to be forgiven, they would all be cleansed of their sin. Now that'd be enough, wouldn't it, to show us that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient? I mean, for all times, pretty exhaustive. But the writer really wants us to get this. And so he makes the same point again, this time by pointing out what Jesus did after he made his sacrifice. And that is, he sat down. The Old Testament priests, after they made a sacrifice, had to keep standing because there was always more sacrifices to do. A constant stream of the people's sin that weren't actually truly dealt with and so a constant stream of sacrifices that the priests had to keep making. But after Christ offered once for all his self as a sacrifice for sin, he sat down. Look at verse 11 again. Day after day, every priest stands And performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's like standing in the kitchen all afternoon getting dinner ready. But once it's all done, once the meal is on the table, then you can sit down and rest your weary legs. That's like Christ. One sacrifice of himself and then he sat down at the right hand of God job done so his sacrifice was once for all time after making the sacrifice he sat down task over you think that's enough to show us that his death was sufficient to take our sins away but the writer's not done as I said he really wants us to know that in Christ we have the permanent forgiveness of our sins from God and so in verse 13 he tells us yet another way Or how Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. And this time, it's that by his death, he has made us perfect forever. Verse 13. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made whole. By his one sacrifice for our sins, he has made us perfect forever forever in other words eternally acceptable to God permanently able to come to God and so it's not that God would forgive us of our sins but then later on change his mind 
you know, oh, on second thoughts, I don't think I really can forgive that sin. No, we have been made perfect, completely acceptable to God forever. Which means even our future sins can't separate us from God. When we sin in the future, it's not that God goes, whoa, did not see that coming. That is just a step too far. You were in my good books, but not anymore. It's not like that at all. By his one sacrifice, Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This isn't a temporary arrangement. This is permanent. And as if all this wasn't enough to convince us that Christ's sacrifice for our sins was sufficient, the writer gives us one final way to see this wonderful truth. And that is that since Christ has been sacrificed for our sins, true forgiveness is ours. God remembers our sins no more. And so there is no need for any more sacrifices for sin ever again. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Breathe that in. Verse 18 is a terrific summary sentence of of all that we've been seeing. That because Christ's death for our sins was enough for our permanent eternal forgiveness, there is now no longer any need for any other sacrifices for sin. Nothing at all is needed to be done about your sin ever again. Once you've been cleansed by Christ. His single self-sacrifice for our sin was truly sufficient. Which means we can live now in the freedom of full forgiveness. For the original Jewish readers, this meant, the Jewish Christians that were reading it, this meant they didn't have to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices. They're not going to go back there anymore. But what about for you and me? How does Christ's complete forgiveness impact us? In so many ways. So let me briefly explore with you just a few of the implications. Firstly, if you're sitting there this morning and you haven't come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, friends, do it today. You're not so bad that you can't be forgiven. There's nothing you've done that Christ can't wash clean. So come to Christ today. And be fully forgiven forever. But for those of us who do already know of Christ's death for us. Well for starters it means that we are actually forgiven. Truly cleansed of all our guilt and shame. Now that's good news isn't it? Because there are some sins that seem to cling to us. Some sins that we just find really hard to stop feeling guilty about. I don't know if you've got those kind of skeletons in your past. Those sins that might still haunt you, they still make you feel dirty. Even though you've asked God to forgive you. 
maybe you had an abortion when you were younger and you've never really gotten over it. Maybe you've committed adultery, torn at the fabric of your marriage or somebody else's. Maybe you had sex before you were married and and the guilt of that has never gone away. Maybe there's things you said or did to your parents and you never fixed it. And maybe they're now gone so you never can. There could be any number of things in your past that just won't let go. Brothers and sisters, the word of God, your father to you, is this. Your sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. And so we can stop dragging our sins around with us as if Christ hasn't taken them away because he has. If you're like me, there'll be times when you replay your sins over and over to yourself and you swim in your shame and you berate yourself and you beat yourself up over them and it all becomes like this invisible backpack that you carry around and you just keep stuffing it full of the sins that you do. And the longer you do this, the heavier it all becomes. And the harder it is to think of yourself in any other way other than a worthless, useless, unholy, unacceptable sinner. And this whole Christian thing you do, it's just a charade. It's all false. You're a fraud. You're not really one of God's children. You ever felt like that? Brothers and sisters, don't listen to the lies of the devil for a moment more. Because Christ has offered up for all time one sacrifice for sin. God himself has said, I'll remember your sins no more. So believe God, not the devil. When your sins feel heavy around your neck, it's not real. It's not true. It's just mind games. Because what is real, what is true, is that Christ has taken away all our sins and made us acceptable to God, perfect, forever. Which means we have no more uncertainty with God. God's forgiveness of our sins means that we are permanently on good terms with him. And so when you muck it up, when you shout at the kids that next time, When you glance at that pornography when no one but God is looking. When you lie about that thing that you're selling, about how good it is. When you fail to love your wife as Christ loved the church. When you sin in whatever way you do. Christ has already died for that sin. He offered up for all time one sacrifice for sins. And so once you've come to God through Christ, you've been made perfect forever. You can't jump in and out of God's good books. When you sin, God doesn't hold it against you. You don't need to somehow make it up to him. And so don't try and snatch your sins back off him as if you're going to deal with them somehow. If Christ has taken your sins and hurled them as far as the east is from the west, don't you go looking for them to try and find them again. And take them on yourself. 
when you sin again, don't feel like it's up to you to make it up to God somehow. Because where sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. There's nothing at all you need to do anymore to deal with any of your sin ever again. So brothers and sisters, will you take God at his word? That by the one sacrifice of Christ Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Believe the word of God. Breathe it in. And then rest. In Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to believe. We thank you that our sins truly are taken away, that you have hurled them as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Thank you that your son has made perfect forever those being made holy by his one sacrifice. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us forever. And we pray that as we wait, you would help us to give your son the credit he deserves, that he has truly taken all our sins away. And so, Father, we pray that we'll wait for him with our confidence always in him. And we pray this, that we might live lives that honour him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.